0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 105 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you live on this fine Selection Sunday and joining me uh, as we, I think it's probably an anal tradition of you and I on Selection Sunday, it's the, the great Scott Coleman. What's up, Scott?
1: What's up, Brad? The best sporting event in the world as far as I'm concerned. It's not going to go over well
0: on a, on a baseball podcast, but I think you might be right.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it, uh, it's pretty fun.
0: It is. And uh, you and I are big college basketball people. We're going to talk about that at the end. So we'll say that to the end. If you really hate college basketball, you can tune out and that'll be the last thing we talk about on the pod. But before we get to uh, lots of March Madness talk to end this thing, uh, your large adult son, Dustin Peterson, is in the news. And uh, because you are the world's leading authority on Dustin Peterson, we have to talk about <laughs> him first off the bat. He hovered on back-to-back days. His OPS in the spring is off the charts. It's in the thousands. There's lots of buzz about his, re- about his power returning uh, to the point where there's there were a couple couple of quotes from a Brian Snicker through Mark Bowman today that were uh, even uh, sort of inkling towards a potential that he could make the baseball team this year, which is pretty crazy to think of where we were even a, even a week or two ago. I was not thinking at all about Peterson as an option. So uh, first of all, take your victory a lap. Second of all, is this any of this stuff <laughs> real?
1: Yeah, you know, anyone who's listened to the pod for the last, God, two years or follows me on Twitter knows I'm a big fan of his. Uh, last year was kind of a lost year for him. He broke uh, he broke a hammock bone in his in his wrist in his hand, and uh, that that just kind of kills your power. And pretty much in 2016, he hit 12 homers uh, and had a 124 WRC plus in Mississippi in a, in a big time pitcher's park. And then uh, missed about half of last year with the broken bone in his hand, and only hit one homer. Hit one homer in 87 games, uh, and that's just kind of par for the course when you do break that bone in your hand. Uh, thankfully and uh, you know if if anybody saw the video today he hit a ball uh hit a homer about 450 feet to dead center and showed some of that raw power that he's shown um you know and uh, you mentioned that snit talked about finding a rotation spot or a rotation spot a a roster spot for him and at this point i'm not sure he's necessarily ready just given his lack of of healthy at bats or i guess full strength at bats at triple a but he's a little bit older and, and he's someone who uh, you know, people people were talking about him kind of this time last year before uh, before he broke his hand that he could he would see Atlanta during the summer. and And I know Snit mentioned that if uh, if if he was healthy and his hand was healthy and he had his strength back, he probably would have been the guy when Matt Kemp went down. Uh, and of course, uh, Lane Adams filled in pretty well, but he's been struggling this spring. Uh, you know there's just not a ton of options. so i'm I'm excited for him. He's someone who I've believed in. Uh, and hopefully he's able to, in the next two, two and a half weeks here in the spring, he's able to, to finish out strong. And regardless if he's in Gwinnett or not, uh, or if he's in Atlanta, uh, I, he's somebody who I would certainly like to see on the roster. I think he at least presents uh, some upside to compared to the other guys on the roster.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. It's obviously early, and we're talking about him after the two games in a row where he hit home runs. So I think... You know it's a long way to go here, but Snit was definitely talking about him in positive terms, and as you mentioned, the upside there is is higher than guys like Adams or Preston Tucker or Danny Santana, who are the other. You know we're going to talk about the lineup and the and the bench here in a little bit. This is going to be the lineup preview episode, so I don't want to go too deep on all the battles and stuff just yet. But yeah, Peterson has a chance, and that's kind of weird because I think you know aside from you, I don't think anybody else was talking about Dustin Peterson having a real shot. At opening the season in Atlanta, and I think he might after this. I mean, would, if it was just the production, I wouldn't necessarily say that. But the way that the ball jumped off his bat, and the and the video that I saw, and in the video that you referenced, and the way that Snit was talking about him, sort of opens the door. You don't want to, you don't want to overreact necessarily to something that a manager says on a on a Sunday in early to mid March. But I think it's at least conceivable now that uh, if he stays hot and looks good the rest of the way, and you have a couple of you know, as as Snit, Snit didn't necessarily say this directly, but. There's nobody that scares you right now in that, in that battle for the, final, for the final spot in the outfield because you know, Dana Santana is having the best spring, but we kind of know what that is. He's not necessarily very good at baseball. And then you have guys like Leonard Adams who I like, but not, like, any, not in a huge sort of o- overwhelming way. Preston Tucker, same sort of thing. So if there's yeah. any reason on a young team to go with Peterson, they, they probably will do that. They're probably almost looking for a reason to go a little bit younger in that spot. So if he gives it to them, that could happen, which is crazy.
1: The only reason I think they might not do it is obviously with with Acuna coming up likely. What, what is it? April twelfth is the official date when he can come up and, and get the extra year of team control. You know, they might not want to bring Peterson up for a couple weeks just to send him back down or then to to force him to a bench spot. And you know if they do that, I get it. If if they want to keep him playing every day, that's probably better in his long term development than coming off the bench because barring an injury to Acuna or or Marcakis. Uh, he's going to be on the bench. And at that point, I I think I would lean towards Elaine Adams or Preston Tucker being the fourth outfielder, you know, and those guys only getting a couple of bats and letting Peterson play every day in in AAA. But who knows, maybe if they're able to, uh, to rid themselves of Nick Marcakis at the deadline, or uh, Alex Anthopoulos has talked about later in the year, bringing up the young kids and kind of seeing what you have. um, That's obviously, you know, goes without saying something I'd be in favor of. And I think it's it worth you know seeing what you have because he's only a year removed from having a pretty monster year in in double A and again last year was just kind of a you know kind of a mulligan just with the hand injury so exciting stuff you're right though it you know it's mid March it's not a full season's worth or anything like that that he's doing this over but at least gives you another option for left field
0: yeah I would not, I would not have led the podcast with anybody else with Dustin Peterson but <laughs> because you're here it felt perfect and it's we had boy. to do that. Uh, you mentioned it sort of in passing and that's a good, it's a good transition is that, you know, the Acuna timeline is interesting. We talked about it a whole lot about him not starting on the, uh, 25 man roster and Bowman, uh, a good friend of the program openly speculated this week that uh, he could debut at Wrigley Field on April 13th, or they could hold him until they get home on April 16th. But I think basically, you know, the overwhelming feeling now is that they're not going to open the season with him and with him in left field or right field, I suppose, um, which is not a surprise, but now that we've actually seen you know a credible reporter basically talking openly about the fact that the Braves are going to probably target either one of those two dates, it's always probably worth discussing again. Not a big surprise. I, if it was me, I would certainly not be quite as transparent as to play him the literally the day after the deadline. I would yeah. probably hold him until the 16th, uh, for one, because you get the pop of a home game. And number two, so it just isn't so incredibly transparent. It's still transparent. We kind of all know the deal at this point, but at least the Reds can sort of feign ignorance and go with you know three days later. (laughs) I don't know. That that, that sounds about right, I, I
1: suppose. I think so, and you know, it's for better or worse, it's the rule. And a couple people have kind of been calling the Braves out for manipulating the rule, but every team does this. I mean, the Cubs are far from being cash-strapped. They have a lot more money to spend than the Braves do, and they did the same thing with Chris Bryant. You've seen it with with other top prospects. So, you know, it's it's part of the game, and I get it. I'm with you. I think they'll, they'll wait for SunTrust. They're, they're not against selling an extra couple tickets uh, for whoever they're playing on the 16th, but um, regardless, it's exciting. He's having a pretty incredible spring, and, and just the his ability to do kind of everything on the field has been pretty, uh, pretty apparent. I think he's up to four stolen bases. He obviously has a, a Homer. He has a couple of doubles. He's, you know, he's going to be a special player. It's I tweeted this and, and, you know, we could certainly talk about Acuna for hours, uh, you know, but it's, it's really not fair to label a 20 year old as a future superstar, the face of your franchise. But I mean, it, something has to go crazy wrong for him not to be an absolute star.
0: Yeah, I mean that seems to be the consensus. I will not claim to be a prospect expert, but from everything you read and just watching him, and you could definitely see it. Uh, obviously, you don't want to put too crazy expectations on him because we've seen what happens in the past with guys, not necessarily of his pedigree, because he his pedigree is uh, north of that. Of even, I think you, you know, you've heard the uh, the Hayward comparisons a lot, even the Francona comparisons. I think Acuna is more universally seen as that number one type of guy than either one of those guys, you know, Hayward was close. I think, you know, the, the hype on him was real. It was massive. And by the way, justified, cause he's a guy that has like 30 war in his career. Like he's, he's been very good, but yeah, Acuna, yeah. uh, the hype is even past all of that. So yeah, most of the time guys like that don't necessarily flame out. It'd be a big surprise if he didn't, um, become a stud at this point. And an even bigger surprise if he was not a long time major league baseball regular, which that's not yeah. sexy for a number one overall prospect. But if you're a guy who's going to play 10 years, that's not a failure regardless. So, no. yeah, no. we'll see. Um, obviously, we can talk about him a time. We probably will here in a second when we get to the lineup. But, yeah, just wanted to put that out there because, you know, you can sort of see the timeline now. By the way, the 16th is the home game if they want to do that. They will have seven games in a row against the Phillies and Mets at Central Park. So back-to-back divisional series. Makes a lot of sense to me to uh, sell some tickets and roll out your uh, future, you know, savior of the franchise at SunTrust. So that's why I, I had to bet on today. That would be
1: it. He'll hit a seventy-five million dollar home run off Jake Arrieta, which is Ooh, yes, absurd. We, go, we can go down
0: the well with the NL East, and I heard <laughs> uh, that was a weird one. And by the way, let's just talk about this real quick. Uh, if that deal had been signed, if Arietta got three for seventy-five. Three months ago, no one would have batted an eye. I don't think. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the Phillies giving it to him would have been a little bit surprising, obviously. Um, but I think just the way with the way that everything went in free agency, that deal landing
1: in mid March to that team was definitely yeah. an eye. Well, answer. they were they were bidding against themselves. Yes. Who you know who else was real? The Nats don't have twenty five million sitting around. Well, we saw what them.
0: happened with with, with Mike Moustakas. Like when there's no yeah. market, you go back to the team. I mean, obviously, you know, Arrieta, the Cubs were not going to be coming calling for Arietta, but. Yeah. They're just unless he was going to sit out, which I guess I'm sure Scott Boris threatened that multiple times,
1: but right. I just
0: can't imagine they couldn't have gotten him for less than that right now.
1: Yeah, I, I, I my jaw literally dropped because you know it was okay he signed you know maybe a one year deal or they get creative with it similar to Hosmer where he can get money up front and then in bail if he if he kind of regains some of his value like he had when you know two years ago in Chicago. But yeah, to, I mean they're gonna pay they're gonna pay 45 million dollars this year. To 33 year old Jake Arrieta and 34 year old uh, Carlos Santana.
0: Well, I'm old. Carlos Santana's 34 years old. I'm that means I'm really old because I remember he, he was a big prospect. So uh, <laughs> that just means I'm old, Scott. It is what it is. But yeah, the Phillies are part. weird. Let's just say yeah. there's. And by the way, they even got they even got what they were probably looking for in those. Like, could they make the wild card headlines? Those were everywhere today. Yeah. So. Uh, no. I'm gonna say no on that, but hey, I understand what they're trying to do, and I can't fault them for overpaying. I mean, they probably had to, I guess, "quote unquote" had to, but yeah, it's a it's a weird spot to be sure. And I'm always up here some for some Phillies hate on this podcast, so uh, there <laughs> you go. Um, all right, let's go on from there. Uh, Luis Johara had another setback this week, which is not great. There was already some uh, some stuff about his injuries early on, and he's uh, you know had a, had a late start to spring training, and then. Uh, he injured his ankle this time. Uh, Mark Bowman, again, our friend of the program, says that he, and I quote, I think you have to assume Johar will not be available to join at last rotation before May arrives, end quote. Which, you know, that's not the biggest deal in the world because they don't they, don't, they don't need a fifth starter until mid-April. But uh, when May is optimistic, that's a whole different thing entirely. And I guess, I mean, aside from just the news and note of him being out, Do you think there's any concern about his body type and injury? Because that's something I I was reading a lot about um, in the last couple of days is that people, you know, maybe rightly assuming that maybe he just needs to get in better shape to avoid injury. Because, I mean, some guys are able to function with his kind of shape. You think about CeCe Sabathia in his prime or Bartolo Colon. There's some guys who were able to do it, but maybe that's got something to do with it. Maybe he needs to lose some weight. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't want to say that. We're obviously not doctors or anything or trainers, but it does seem a little bit weird that he has these kind of nagging things given the way that he is not the most svelte
1: individual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone knows he's a big boy. That doesn't necessarily, like you said, doesn't mean you're guaranteed to get hurt. Guys who are in tremendous – I mean, Giancarlo Stanton gets hurt every year and the dude's built like a brick house, right? Right. So. It's not all about that. I can tell you that. It's not all about, <laughs> right. his, uh, about his figure. Let's just say that off the top. Right. No, you know it certainly hurts because you know you, uh, Gahar. All the projections had him as the Braves' best pitcher this year, which is kind of crazy. And if he's going to miss at least April, I guess the only silver lining is if if he becomes kind of the the frontline starter that you want. Uh, Maybe the blessing in disguise is since he'll be in the minors until May, he won't be accruing service time. You might get him for an extra year, but. Obviously, you're talking six, seven years down the line with a with a 21 year old pitcher. It's you know who knows where he's going to be, but it's unfortunate. And you know, I, I tweeted uh, Matt Whistler was and Scott Kazmir are probably the two, I guess front runners now for the fifth starter's job. And of course, Whistler had been good all spring, and then today he got lit up by uh, got lit up by the Tigers and didn't even make it out of the third inning. You know, not that one spring training start is going to determine whether or not he gets a job, but you know, he he is kind of who he is, and and obviously Kazmir has his injury problems, and if he's really sitting kind of low 80s with his fastball like some people had reported, obviously that's, that's not going to work. So all of a sudden the fifth spot becomes a little bit of a problem now with the off days. They don't really need a fifth starter until two weeks into the year, and I think they have another off day or two. They might be able to avoid it, but... Yeah, not not good for uh at least the the early portions of the season.
0: Yeah, they have some options but nothing particularly sexy and with with also with the report that Julio Teheran's uh, velocity was down. There's not been some gra- I mean he was you know his his results were good in his last start but there's a little bit of buzz about his stuff not necessarily playing up right now. So, yeah, not the greatest pitching week for the Braves um, in terms of uh injuries and projections and all that stuff. I'm not I'm not necessarily worried and same with Johar. I mean, this is an ankle. It's not like it's a it's not an yeah. arm injury. I'm not necessarily worried about Johara. You know, I think he's going to be good when he pitches. He was. Uh, he showed a lot of flashes last year and is obviously a big time prospect. So, just something to note. And uh, he'll be at least. You know, at least like he's probably going to be out of commission for another. You know, it's a month and a half away. You're talking about May. Uh, if you follow that Bowman report, it's probably seven, eight weeks away now. It's a long time. Yeah. So. You know, something to keep an eye on, and he's obviously one of the sexier names. And next week we're going to talk about the rotation uh, more in depth, and, and we'll hopefully we'll know a little, a little bit more by then because he'll be a big part of that discussion. Um, uh, two more things before we get into the lineup preview, and that is uh, there were a couple of roster roster moves, official roster moves this week. Uh, Jesse Biddle got optioned. Adam McCreary and Ricardo Sanchez got optioned. None of that was a big surprise. We talked, we talked about the bullpen last week at length with Eric Cole, but uh, those three guys are not going to be in the opening day bullpen barring injury. And then also the Braves set Colby Allard, Christian Pache, and Mike Soroka down to minor league camp. Again, none of those are surprises either. But I mean, if you're if you're, if you're just following the bullpen uh, battle,
1: you
0: know, yeah. I don't know. The bullpen's going to be weird. I <laughs> just we talked about that a lot last week, but it's just it's just going to be weird. You're going to have a guy or two in there that nobody necessarily knows a whole lot about, and. Uh, yeah that's probably the best way to put it i don't, I don't know what to say about the bullpen it's just like all right, right. there's three or four guys right. you know and the rest of them are going to be interesting
1: yeah there was some interesting talk and and you know we kind of talked about mike soroka and how impressive he's been and and i know mark bowman wrote this week uh that a scout said that that he's probably one of the braves top three starters right said he now. was ready now yeah 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 so i would imagine he's Probably the first one to get a call. I think they'll let him get some AAA experience. I'd be real surprised, especially since they sent him down to minor league camp. Uh, I'd be real surprised if he broke the season with in Atlanta. But I would imagine if someone gets hurt, but you know, or, or someone's really struggling, I would imagine he's he's probably the first one to get the call. Um, the, you don't get the sense the Braves are really. Uh, eager to move Max Freed quickly. They might kind of want to have a redo of last year, just have, how much they kind of jerked him around between the, the rotation and the bullpen and moving him up to Atlanta for a couple weeks and sending him down. So he's, uh, he's looked really good this spring and, and I'm, you know, he's obviously one of the many who folks will be looking forward to. And uh, I, I would if over under the all-star break for Mike Soroka's first start.
0: Uh, I'm gonna say it comes after, but it would not surprise me at all if it didn't. I mean, yeah. he was really, really good last year in Double A at the age of 19, which is nuts. Um, and then now, like, I know he's 20, but if you're looking for a guy who's 20 who could pitch at this level, it's probably a guy like him with his makeup. He's he's a control guy. He's just so mature beyond his years. It's not like he just needs to, you know, it's not like Sean Newcomb where you where you where you have this worry of a guy coming up that won't be able to direct his fastball even like. He's going to yeah. be able. I think Soroka would look normal in a major league game right now. That that, is, that isn't to say that he's going to be good right away because he's twenty. He probably wouldn't be good right away, but I think he would not be out of place. And that's something that I can you know I'll pass along from Eric. Obviously, Eric is in the tank for Max Soroka to the end of the to the end of the earth. But he said the same thing when I talked to him about. It. It's like you know Soroka is just he's so mature beyond his years that I think he probably could function. So I mean I'm going to say after, but it wouldn't blow me away at all, especially if you get an injury or two and. I know the Braves don't want to push guys, and they have other options. They have guys that they could just throw out there to the wolves, like you know Whistler and Blair and Lucas Sims. If they want to do any, if they wanted to just get through some innings, they they can do it without bringing up the young guys. But I think you're right in that. I mean, maybe free because he's already been up would be ahead of Soroka. But if, in terms of the guys who have not reached the majors yet, I think Soroka will be the first one, and all indications of that are uh, definitely in that direction right now.
1: Yeah, there's another note, too, and just kind of shifting. Uh, Kyle Wright was also reportedly heading to double A yep. uh, Mississippi, which seemed likely, I guess, just considering he's a college arm and all that. But again, if, if he made a start in September, he's another guy, you know, should move quickly, has great stuff, you know, good command and, and knows what he's going to do being more of a polished college pitcher and lots of exciting stuff with the with the kids.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's easy to focus on the kids, and uh, that's always been it's been our, our modus operandi for a couple of years now. Focus on the kids and have fun. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the season's starting, which means we have to focus on the old guys a little bit. Um, that's actually a good, a good transition, because to sort of kick off our, our lineup preview, we didn't get a chance to talk about Ryan Schimpf last week, because the deal hit. Of course, as the Braves are, are prone to do, the deal happened on Monday morning, after the podcast had come out, so... Ryan Ship is a thing now, 29-year-old uh, corner infielder slash, I guess he can play some second base as well, has played play some second base. But a very, very weird profile for Ryan Chip. Uh, By the way, the trade was uh, for a player to, be, player to be named later or cash to the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, so not a whole lot given up for him. But a 29-year-old with huge power and nothing else. So yeah. what was your reaction? I'm totally cool with this, by the way. Like, I'm fine taking a flyer on a guy who has an interesting skill set. He's like the evolutionary Adam Dunn, like almost crazier. Um, mm-hmm. With the way that his splits are and all that stuff, but I mean, with the, where the Braves are at third base, like there's no reason not to do it. But is he going to be yeah. good? It's kind of a different argument.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I think Dave O'Brien was saying that it was basically a cash—you know—he was going to be for cash, and even if for some reason it is a player to be named later, then it's not going to be a prospect of any means. You know, as you said, he's kind of a one of his own with his profile. He either hits a home run or he strikes out and. I mean uh,
0: by the way you you say that and I, I don't think people understand like there are guys with three true outcomes this like Ryan Ship is probably the number one guy I've ever seen at the major league level his yeah. his uh, his career iso in almost 600 plate appearances is 297 yeah but he has a his <laughs> a career batting average of 195 and slugging of 492 that is impossible yeah like yeah, it, I mean, he has nuts. more
1: homers than yeah he has more homers than he has uh, he has more homers than he has singles. He has, let's see, what is that? He has 28 career singles. 34 in, home runs. <laughs> in what is this? Uh, 530 plate appearances at the big league level. He has less than 30 singles. That That's insane.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's, but he walks. I mean, that's the thing. If you feel like a guy, you have to walk a lot, and he does. He has a career 13% walk rate, which is a lot, but he strikes out 33% of the time. So, and by the way he was much better in 2016 in his first stint with the Padres than he was uh in 2017 with the Padres where he um, had a 284 on base percentage yeah if he does that again he's useless frankly uh, he he had an 88 wrc plus last year it's only about 200 about 200 plate appearances there was some power but there's a very very small margin for error like if he's the guy he was in 2016 when he still had a 217 batting average but you know 336 on base 533 slugging that's a very useful player, unless you're just horrible on defense, which he doesn't, it doesn't appear that he's horrible. He's probably going to be bad, but not anything, you know, spectacularly bad. But last year, 158 batting average, 284 on base percentage. You know, the power's still there, but if he does that, it's a lot harder to stomach.
1: Yeah, and you know, the Rays went out of their way to trade for him, and then they had him in in spring training for like three weeks and then gave him away for basically nothing. (laughs) Yeah. in a cash strap team like the Rays too. You know, it's not in, you know, it's not the Yankees who are like, Oh, we don't really need him. Let's, let's clear a roster spot for a reliever.
0: And the Rays Uh, are weird too. Like it's not like that's a team that's like averse to having weird players. Right. I don't know. It's his career. I mean, if you're looking for a bright spot and I want to ask you about this in general, as we get into the preview is like, you know, I think third base is the spot he clearly will be playing for the Braves um his splits are very interesting in the fact that you know against against left-handed pitching he uh is not good but against right-handed pitching he has a career 122 wrc plus 351 woba like he's been good against right-handed pitching which isn't yep. a surprise but if you were to platoon him and him and Camargo or something like that you might get a little bit interesting
1: uh, i'll say uh someone i think tweeted and said Kind of what's the over-under on starts at third base for Schimpf this year? I'll say like 15. I mean, if they started
0: him against a left-handed pitcher at any point, it would be criminal. Yeah, yeah.
1: Which, in Camargo is better against lefties anyway. So I I think Camargo will get a good chunk of it. and Maybe they they let Rio have a couple starts later in the year. But, yeah, I I think it was more of a depth move. I think it's also kind of a cover-your-ass move in case, like if Dansby or Albies get hurt. Then obviously you probably need Camargo to play one of those two positions. So, and you don't necessarily want Rio to be out there every single day. So I I think it was just a a move that cost you know whatever they're going to send the Rays hundred thousand bucks or whatever for for a player who won't embarrass you at third and and occasionally run to a homer. But uh, my expectations are not super high with them.
0: Yeah, I mean it's an interesting bench bath. Nothing else. Like the Rays haven't had that guy off the bench who is like a power legitimate power pinch hitter in a while. like, yeah. And he could just be that, which is fine. Um, and It's just interesting, as we transition, we, we can go into the bench a little bit, because third base is sort of the only battle for like long-term playing time. Obviously, the alpha is a little bit unsettled. We'll start there in a second, but third base is interesting. We talked about those guys a second ago, but what's the bench going to look like? Because I think a yeah. lot of people assume that Rio was in deep trouble after this trade, and I was probably one of them, because you still have Culberson, who's a weird kind of player, plus Camargo, and all the outfield guys. So I don't know. how's does it all shake? do they keep, I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out who they actually keep because it's, it's sort of getting, the spots are getting lo, are getting low, especially when you factor yeah. in Acuna. Like if you pre Acuna, it's a little bit easier to figure out what they're going to do, but post Acuna, they're going to have to get rid of somebody. And that's where it becomes even more of a
1: challenge. Yeah. And you know, look, we all saw what Danny Santana can do last year, which <laughs> he, he's, he I, listen, I know he's been good in the spring. He's bad. Yeah,
0: there's 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 so much information out there that says he's bad, I, and I'm sure. Okay, I'm not, maybe, I'm, maybe not sure. I I'm convinced that Brightsnicker can be bamboozled by Dennis Santana being good in the spring. Like that would not surprise me if they overvalued that sharply that he's been good in the spring and that means he's good. Like I think he clearly isn't, and you can look at every single metric of his entire career basically and say that he's not good. But yeah, yeah. maybe they'll be swindled. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, it's. I think Culberson. You mentioned. You know, obviously he's having a good spring, and and he's certainly familiar for, for Anthopolis, Just coming from it, you know, both came over from the Dodgers. I think he's pretty safe. He has a pretty decent track record. Um, Christian, I mean, he can't hit is, at all. But <laughs> right, yeah, he's he's just kind of a versatile play anywhere you need him. I mean, you know, there's no good bench options here when they decided that they weren't going to bring back. You know, Matt Adams at four million dollars or whatever it was, it's pretty clear they weren't really thinking as much about the bench as well, other you know other contenders probably are. And
0: yeah. yeah, I mean just to say like I know Culberson is a known commodity, but he has a and I'm not kidding you a career 48 WRC plus.
1: Yeah, yeah. That,
0: I mean he is the definition of a no bat player. Like and that by the way that's that doesn't mean that he's completely useless. Like I don't think he's any good, frankly. But his defense is valuable. The versatility is valuable, but. If he really is that kind of hitter, he's not an, he's not a major leaguer. I, mean, yeah. that's just kind of I think I, that
1: was, you know, going back to the... I think the, the almost the biggest argument for bringing in one of the free agent third basemen was just you would free up Camargo to be an actual bat off the bench because, I mean, realistically, Kurt Suzuki is probably the best bat coming oh, off the bench. I mean, and, if he's
0: the guy who was last year, it's not even close because, I mean, Culberson is a complete non-hitter, and if they were to keep either... I mean, all respect to Lane Adams, it's not like his bat's really scary either. And then Danny Santana, like that bench yeah. is horrific in terms, yeah. of, in terms of offense at least.
1: Yeah, I mean, Chris it, it's not ideal. Yeah, Chris Stewart. I think it's just to have a veteran in AAA in case, you know, Flowers gets his ankle rolled up and then all of a sudden, you know, holding open tryouts to see who can be their backup catcher. Um, yeah, it's it's not ideal. I mean, again, as we always say, this, this team isn't, Necessarily looking to win a World Series this year, but the bench is the bench situation is not ideal. Right what from. do you what do you think about Preston
0: Tucker? I think he's the only guy we didn't talk about just now, at least at least briefly. You know, he's 27, left-handed outfielder. You know, track record's a little bit interesting. He's not been great in the majors. He's he's, yeah. he's had a lot of success in the minor leagues with with the bat. Once he got in the majors, it's only you know it's less than 500 plate appearances, so it's not this huge sample. And last year he spent the whole year in AAA and was only okay, which is not great for a guy who was 26 yeah um is he a thing at all or is that just another bench sort of yeah i mean he has
1: some yeah like you said he's 27 he's gonna be 28 this summer he has a little bit of power i mean he showed in in 2015 we're just going back a couple years but kind of his first run with the astros in 2015 he hit 13 homers big league level uh he hit four in 2016 and he didn't break through you know to the big league club last year with the astros but they pretty obviously had a pretty good lineup and pretty good bench so and I, you know, I can't fault him too much for that, but he has some power. He'll run into one or two of them. Um, probably an okay fielder at best. I mean, he, he's not going to be Matt Kemp out there, but he's also, <laughs> you know, not going to win a Gold Glove. And not that the Matt Kemp out there is, is a big bar to clear. I, I love
0: that. I love that that's the baseline now for all uh, all <laughs> bad all bad outfield plays. Matt Kemp. Did you see
1: Matt Kemp this year though? He's
0: he's skinny again. I remember when he, he was skinny last year. Remember, and then he yeah. and then he wasn't in like <laughs> two weeks. No, yeah. I mean, Kemp is yeah. clearly the example of a guy, we're not getting too deep into the rabbit hole of, we, we've seen him be able to take the weight off. It's just as soon as the season starts, he's in, he's apparently incapable of keeping it off.
1: Yeah, and once the hamstring, he pulls the hamstring once, it's going to be a problem all year.
0: He can't do cardio, and I, I get all that. I mean, it's what it is, but yeah. Uh, anyway, with, with anyway, Tucker, yeah. he can not hit lefties <laughs> either, which is a problem. So, like, yeah. you have a guy who is just okay um, as a hitter against right-handed pitching is awful against left-handed pitching and he's 27 and not a great defender. That's not a guy. It's very sexy to me.
1: Yeah. He's kind of the four a outfielder, which
0: yeah. I mean, I think he'd be better than Daniel Santana. If that tells you anything, that's not a high bar clear either, but yeah, same here. uh, So that's, that's a guy I'll keep an eye on. Okay. That's probably enough on on the bench. Let's talk about, you know, a lot of times we just gloss over the guys who we know are going to be around him because, so let's talk a little bit about the guys who we know. Uh, Freddie Freeman is good. At baseball, breaking news. Uh, every single baseball. projector system thinks he's the best player on the team because he is. Um, he was awesome last year, um, pre and post injury, really. So, I mean, let's talk about Freddie a little bit. I know he's, he's 28, should be right in the middle of his, of his prime. And, you know, barring injury over the last two years, he's been the top
1: 15 player in baseball, maybe even higher. Yeah, yeah I mean, his, before the broken wrist, he was, his, he was basically 1A and 1B with Mike Trout for being the best hitter in baseball.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's not bringing the same value that Trout does way, otherwise, but just as a pure hitter, he was, he's was. he been, the last two seasons has been just downright incredible with the bat.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, if if you told me Freddie Freeman was going to be the MVP in 2018 in the National League, it wouldn't stun me.
0: All he has to do is just be what he was the last two years. I mean, yeah. and I, I firmly believe in 2016, he would have gotten more I MVP mean, attention had the Braves not been terrible. Like, he wouldn't have won it but his numbers were right, right up there with everybody you know sans you know you have a if you have a crazy I'm not sure he has the upside of like Bryce Harper or somebody that could just go crazy and hit fifty-five right. home runs but yeah. Freeman's baseline is just so good that you know it's just even last year I think you could argue last year he was I mean his wrc plus was exactly the same as 2016 which is pretty crazy but I think he was almost better pre-injury last year
1: yeah yeah and the good news is you know it was not an injury where you worry about it happening again i mean i guess he could take a fastball off the wrist at any point but it was not it was not no bleak which can you know which can be a recurring thing it wasn't a hamstring you know thankfully it wasn't something horrible like an acl or you know obviously an arm shoulder issue for a pitcher it was you know he took a fastball off the wrist which you know 10 months lost. removed from it yeah oh yeah that was uh, that was not good uh, but you know 10 months removed from a broken uh, a broken bone in your wrist. I don't, he didn't have to have surgery on it, right? It was just a cactus or a, uh, uh, he just had it wrapped and everything, right? Yeah.
0: I mean, he's, and by all accounts, looks to be 100% in spring. And, you know, it's pretty crazy. And in fact, I'm looking at it now. I actually didn't even realize this, but, you know, he had a 335 Babip last year. He had a Babip that was lower than his career rate last year and still posted like a thousand OPS with a 152 WRC plus. Like, if he gets lucky, I mean, with the the improvements he's made, like, because he he slashed his strikeout rate way down while walking as much or more, like, his peripherals now are like getting toward that Joey Votto range of, yeah, he's not quite walking more than he's striking out, but he's, it's, they're becoming closer together. And yeah, he's just terrifying. I mean, we don't talk about him enough because it's it's sort of a boring conversation to have to talk about just how good Freddie Freeman is, but he's underpaid at whatever he's making, 20 plus million. He's, he's underpaid.
1: Oh yeah, they were smart to lock him up when they did. There was a lot
0: of worry about that contract, and that worry has evaporated.
1: <laughs> no, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, let's just say that we could probably leave it there because you know we'll talk about Freddie whenever something happens or whatever. He just goes on one of his ridiculous tears, but let's just talk about him being good. Um, moving on, the other guy that we talk about the least, I think, Ender Inciarte. Uh, Ender is also very good in different ways. You know, I think it's there's a conversation to be had about his bat because it's not that inspiring, and I think people probably overwrite him with the bat because his batting average being high. And that's sort of a fair argument. And it's funny, like I'll always argue that he's better than his offensive numbers are because he's so good. He's so good. And you know, defensively, and does all the little stuff that you want, but I, is it possible he's overrated offensively? Cause I think he probably is when it comes to brave spans, at least the ones I hear from.
1: I, I think you kind of touched on it. I think he does what's expected of him and, he kind of is who he is at this point because he's had, you know, the last three years, he's had 100 WRC plus, and 97 WRC plus, and then 100 again last year. His war the last four years, really his first f- uh, four full years in the Bigs, is 2.7, 3.2, 3.6, 3.0. So he's incredibly consistent. The the increase in power last year was a little intriguing, though most of that came early in the year. Um, you know, he, he's a very steady, good center fielder. He's never going to be, you know, it was going to be 27, 28 this year. Uh, he's never going to be an elite hitter by any means. And maybe the batting average does overrate him a little bit. But I think, you know, with his glove, anything he brings you at the plate is gravy. And, and obviously a very important piece for the Braves. Um, I do think it's interesting. Someone was talking about Acuna's value and being able to handle center. Mm-hmm. Um, and they asked about Ender being a trade candidate at some point. It's it's kind of interesting. It's He's one of those guys where and not to, you know, talk about trading Ender for the next 20 minutes, but you know, it's interesting because if someone offered a lot for him, I think the Braves would at least entertain it cuz they know they have at least one center fielder ready with Acuña and then if 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 Christian Pache goes nuts this year like people think he might, he's obviously in, you know, a 70-80 grade fielder. It wouldn't be the most absurd thing in the world, I guess, but maybe that's a discussion for another day.
0: No, it's it's sort of the same thing that when I've I've gotten in trouble slash being made fun of for talking about Aziawi's being traded in the past, and it's because it's it's, def- it's obviously sort of the reverse. But um, NCRT is super valuable because of his contract. Like I think his contract is more valuable than h- him as a player. If that makes sense, it's because you know he's a very good player, as you talked about. He's a three win player. That's hugely valuable. But the fact that he's locked up for the next five seasons. Is the huge win out of all of that? So like, yeah. it's one of those things where if, if for some reason they were really, really excited about Acuna in center field, which they could be, then it would make some sense. But you would also need somebody to pay full value for Ncarter because he's making four million this year, five million next year, seven million twenty twenty, and, tw- and yeah. eight million twenty twenty one, and nine in twenty twenty two with a club option. Yeah. That is a heist, yeah. and we and we know that already. But that also means that like. You could trade him for a better baseball player and have it be a bad trade.
1: Because
0: yeah, of the like contract. you have to
1: be all, because he's just such a sure thing. You almost have it's to a be a sure thing and it's to... so
0: cheap for a team yeah. that needs that cost
1: certainty. Yeah. Like even for a couple of really promising prospects, I'm not sure I'd pull it just enough. because yeah. you know that Ender is who he is. Even if the defense starts to fade off a little bit like in his age 30 31 seasons. Roman left. Like you know he right. You move him, and, and if he continues to hit at an average level, then he's not going to be unplayable by any means.
0: No, and I, I'm all for maximizing positional value. That's that's where I get back to the obvious thing. One of the reasons why I thought the Braves should consider trading him is because I think he's a shortstop, and if you can get a team that pays him short pays the shortstop premium for him in trade, then you probably win that trade. Whereas for Acuna, obviously, you are not going to trade Acuna. But if you think that his his value is maximized in center field, and you have you have Ender there now, you know it's probably better to trade Ender than it would be to move him off center, because yeah. if you move him off center, he loses a lot of his value, right? Because because he's a glove guy. So I mean, there's a lot of arguments here. I, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But it's sort of getting back to the Julio Tehran argument in that, except for even even crazier, you know, part of the argument with trading Julio was that he was so cost certain that. His value was so much higher than his actual performance. With Ncarte, it's even more than that because he's, he's a hitter. And hitters are just so much safer, and he's even cheaper than Julio, which is crazy because Julio is incredibly cheap. But talking about a, a guy in Ender who is—he's basically owed. I'm, I'm trying to do the math in my head right now. He's owed twelve. I'm trying nine sixteen. Yeah, he's owed thirty-three million over five years. Thirty-two yeah. million. Like that's outrageous. Right. Like for a guy, that that's his entire prime. That's that's ages twenty seven to thirty one for, for a, a three one gol- center fielder.
1: Yeah, for a gold glover who is who is an average hitter at the plate, which is more than acceptable.
0: If he, I mean, just if you think about it, just breaking down the uh, what what you know dollar per win. The last three years, he's probably been worth somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty million dollars a season. If yeah. you want to be super super conservative, fifteen million dollars a season, and you're paying him $4, four, five, um, seven, eight, and nine in the next five years. Yeah, so, There you go, uh, extra value for Ender So I think, you know, rationally You expect him to just do, do the same thing he's, that he's been doing The last three years, I think that's probably the, the baseline Right now, because as you mentioned He's been so consistent that I'm expecting Three wins and 600 plate appearances And just a 300 hitter that doesn't have much power And that's a good player
1: Yeah, I mean He's, he's somebody who you love on your team And you would hate to lose him But I wouldn't make him untradeable If that makes sense
0: Oh, it absolutely does. I mean, I, I like there a lot. I know the Braves, Braves fans like him a lot. And I think he'll be on the team for a while, but that's something to keep an eye on at least because, if you know, as we all, as we always talk about, you know, short of Acuna and Freeman, everybody's available. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't care what anybody says, uh, even Albies, I'll, even I'll and I think he would be certainly number three on that list right now, considering his age and um, the way that he's been awesome lately. But, um, yeah, for, for a team that's still in its sort of flux state, they have a lot of... Uh, we're thinking, by the way, the GM did not bring in most of these guys, so he may have a, a vastly different opinion of, of these players than the previous regime. So yep. keep an eye on that. Okay, let's let's move on from there. Let's talk about catcher for a second because we talked about this before, but the catchers last year were incredible. And I think it's very difficult with that as the backdrop to figure out what they're going to do this year because Flowers has been really good for two years in a row. And Kurt Suzuki came out of absolutely no, nowhere last year and had the best season of his career by a wide margin. So at least at, least at the plate. So what are you expecting from Ketcher? Because I have no idea.
1: You know, this time last year, the Braves were kind of counting on Tyler Flowers. And I, I probably said it on this podcast. I'm like, you know, he had a career year randomly at age 31, 32. Uh, he was good in 2016, and and you know if if I had to bet on it, I would say that he was going to revert back to the guy he was the first six or seven years of his career. Um, and he got better. I mean, he had his best year by far last year. You know, he, he played 100 games, which is probably pretty average for catchers. They're they're due to miss some time, obviously, with days off, and and with you know he always seems to get a little banged up, and, and certainly takes a share of, of foul balls off the knee. But you know, played 100 games, 12 homers. Uh, hit 280, 120 WRC plus, uh, got on base, didn't strike out a ton. I mean, he was a two point five win catcher last year, which made him, I think, in the top six or seven in all of baseball, which is crazy considering, you know, they're paying him nothing. Uh he's getting paid a couple million dollars a year and and then you touched on Kurt Suzuki hitting eighteen homers last year. I mean, <laughs> that might have been of all the in of three or nine of played the, appearances, by the way. Yeah, I mean of all of the kind of new era of hit home runs and strike out. I'm sorry, he hit 19 homers last year. Yeah. <laughs> if if you would have told me this time a year ago that Kurt Suzuki would hit 19 home runs, I would have told you the Braves won the World Series because that <laughs> for a guy who hit, like, he hadn't eclipsed, let's see, one, two, he hadn't hit double-figure homers in like six years, and he hit 19 last year,
0: which is crazy. In less playing time, way less playing time than he was doing back when he was with the A's and was a good player. Yeah, you know, seven, eight years ago. So I don't know. I mean, I think Flowers now we have a two year track record of him being good, you know, previous to that. And the reason why I think we all thought he was gonna take a step back in 2017 was that he was not very good in Chicago, like no for a long time. I and mean, I have it in front of me now. He played there for, you know, parts of seven seasons, had a, had a, an OPS of 665 and almost 1300, i oh, sorry, almost 1400 plate appearances. You know, he was a run of the mill backup catcher in Chicago. And now he's suddenly become an above average starting catcher, which is I guess it's not inconceivable because he's only he was only 30 when he got to Atlanta, but I have a tough time believing he's just going to be this again, but maybe he is. I don't know. I mean, he was even better in 2017 than it was in 2016, and yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I can't write him off at this point. I wrote him off last year. I was wrong, so I'm not going to yeah. make that mistake again. He's 32 now. Maybe he does it again. Who, who knows? Suzuki, I think, is way more fluky. I, I have to believe that to see it. I mean, I have to see that see that to believe it, I should say. defensively he's always been good so that's kind of why the Braves signed him in the first place to have that solid backup catcher play defense and receive and you know treaty on pitching staff but the hitting aspect I mean his career high slugging percentage prior to last year was 421 and he had a 536 slugging
1: percentage last year yeah no he I mean it was amazing I think if you add up Suzuki was at 2.7 war over 81 games and Flowers was at ninety nine games. Now of course they you know, two and a half. So that's that's five point two. They were certainly um, in the top three in the entire league in catcher last year, right? And they 12. paid them, I think, like four million dollars combined. Yeah, I mean, it's
0: outrageous. I mean, that's so not gonna happen happening.
1: <laughs> so even if they, which is to be expected, even if they come down to earth a little bit, you know, even if even if the Braves can get three three and a half wins out a total out of Suzuki and Flowers, they should be more than happy again it kind of buys them another year to see where they're at it gives you a year to see where alex jackson is at as he kind of gets the top levels of the minors you know is he a catcher is he an outfielder yeah brett cumberland there's a lot there's a couple of catching options you know out there yeah so you know it just for what they're paying them you don't need them to be superstars and as long as they're handling the pitching staff and and you know, even, you know, we talked they hit 31 homers last year. If they can hit 20 homers, it's a little concerning that they're likely going to be the cleanup hitters on the team for at least the first month or so. And, you know, obviously, hopefully Acuna is able to step in sooner rather than later. But, uh, yeah, by far the most pleasant surprise of last year were the two catchers. And hopefully they can come close to doing it again next year. Yeah, I
0: mean, they'll be hitting cleanup followed by power hitter Nick in the <laughs> So. in yeah. Uh, we'll get there in a second. Okay, let's go to the middle infield real quick. Um, we actually got a mailbag question. It came from Russell Jones, and he asked quite simply, is Dansby Swanson good at hitting baseballs? Mm. Uh, that's a good question. Dansby was not good last year at the plate and had some fielding issues, although he wasn't as bad as everybody wanted to make him seem in the in the field. But at the plate, it was pretty ugly. So, I mean, million-dollar question is what to expect from Dansby Swanson. I can tell you what Zips says, and he they basically have him as a slightly below-average hitter, about a 700- OPS 87 WRC plus which isn't awful at shortstop when he plays good defense. That's a that's a reasonably solid starter But you know last year was a 66 WRC plus but a sub 650 OPS. So what do you yeah. think about Swanson? You know, he's still young only 24 just turned 24. So I'm not worried yet, but uh, this no. is a big year now
1: Yeah, it is you're right. It's a big year and it's a big year for kind of the whole organization I think that's kind of the theme we've heard throughout the spring that it's a big season you know, I guess it's encouraging that he's shown a little bit of power. I mean, he was somebody who had zero power last year. His ISO was 092 last year, which is which is nothing. It's very light. Uh, you know, so he, he of course homered off uh, Max Scherzer a couple weeks ago and homered again. I think it was Saturday's game against the Pirates. So that's encouraging, and it seems like his defense has has you know kind of quieted down a little bit. Uh, you know, the errors and everything like that. So I'm I'm optimistic that he has a good year. I don't really know what to expect from Dansby. If, if he posted a three-win season, it wouldn't surprise me. And if they demoted him at the end of May because he was just unplayable, it wouldn't surprise me either.
0: I mean, that would surprise me a little. I mean, it wouldn't stun me beyond measure. But I don't see that. I think, because, I mean, even with as bad as he was last year, I think people at least slightly overestimated how bad it was at the plate. At least he was that bad. But if you factor in the fact that he had good defensive metrics last year, you know, he wasn't good. He was, he was replacement level and that's bad. But I, you know, every single place he's ever been, he's hit. I don't think he's going to be as bad as he was last year. At the plate. But if he does it again, I guess that's, that's a thing. And I mean, I don't know. I'm interested to see how long the leash is. If he comes out in April and May and is as bad as he was last year, is he just going to disappear for a while or longer than a while? Do they go back to Albies at shortstop? Because I think that's what I would do. If they were going to come close to getting up on Swanson, I would be moving Albies to shortstop. I would not be fooling around with Johan Camargo. Uh, that's just what I would do. But yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves a lot on that. I just think, for me, if you ask me what to project Dan's be at, I think it would look a lot like the Zips projection, which is, by the way, 254, 331, 385 at the plate. That's about what I think it's going to be. I probably, you know, that's a 700 o- OPS, and that's about what I project. That's not super sexy for a guy who, you know, was a for number one overall pick, but if he does yeah. that with good defense, that's probably like a two-win player, and that's kind of what I would think. I mean, they they had him at 2.3 wins. That seems right to about where I would be. If, if he came out and hit 300 and with good defense and was suddenly a three-win shortstop, I would not be surprised. But if he was last year... I just can't see. I don't know. I almost said I wouldn't be surprised. I think I would be surprised if he was as bad as he was last year.
1: I oh, wouldn't I, be I stunned think he'll be beyond bad.
0: measure, but like, I <laughs> yeah, think that's I th- that's pretty unlikely. I think.
1: Yeah, I think he'll be better, and I think he's. You know, somebody retweeted last year's opening day lineup, and he was batting second, and I just don't think he was ready to bat second. There's no. it's the most important position in the lineup, and I think your struggles. Don't, don't tell that. Get uh, I think your 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 struggles get magnified more when you're second than when you're eighth. And if you know, like you said, if if he can do a 700 or so OPS out of the eighth spot, if he can hit two wins as a shortstop, good glove, you know, gonna put the ball in play. If he gets on base to reasonable level in front of the pitchers to you know bunt over and then get in scoring position for Ender and in Ozzy and Freeman, you know, if he can do that and kind of fly under the radar, I think that'd be a really big step forward for him he was never and you know you remember too even though he was number one pick he was never projected to be a superstar right like he just that's not his game he he doesn't have the the crazy raw power he doesn't have the the 80 grade speed or the you know the athleticism that's off the chart it was just between his makeup and kind of did a little bit of everything right yeah it's you know and and you say well he could be a 10-year big leaguer and be really steady well Obviously, at this point, that the Braves would be thrilled with that. So, I mean,
0: we said it, that when, when they traded for him, we, I think we all said at various points on this podcast, like it was almost inevitable that Braves fans were going to think he was overrated, even if he was good. I mean, yeah. because of the fact that good for him was probably going to be 300 with only light power, quality defense, like he'd be somewhere in the NCR take kind of mold as a shortstop. Mm-hmm. And that is a very good player, but if you think about the guy's number one overall pick, you're going to expect Bryce Harper, and he's not going to ever be that. I mean, it would it would take Dansby suddenly becoming Jose Altuve and hitting 340 every year for that to be a thing, which isn't going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I just think having reasonable expectations is important for Swanson, and just not thinking about him as number one overall pick would be good. I mean, you can think about him as a top as a top prospect because he has, he has great pedigree. I mean, he's hit everywhere he's ever been. But you know, the notion of him ever being like a seven win shortstop, like he's never gonna be May Machado, it's that's not happening. Like yeah. you want him to be a long term regular three, four win shortstop. That'd be a huge yeah. win. And if you get if you get some proge- some progression this year at at the age of twenty four, that's kind of all you can ask for.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I again and I, I don't want to keep harping on, but it just it's such a big year. And it is. When we say it's just a big year, it's not the Braves need to win eighty two games or or blow up the whole rebuild. It's just, you know, it's a big year for maybe a dozen guys. Are they big leaguers or are they, you know, or, or I guess are they big leaguers who you can build around for the next five years or are they, you know, it, and it's not just Dansby, it's Newcomb and it's it's Fulty and it's even, you know, even to see what you think you have in Ozzy having his first full year. You know, Dansby, of course, was so good in 2016 when he came up and hit 300. And yeah, there were some concerns you know, and and that's kind of where we're at with Aussie right now, and it's everyone's excited and with good reason. He's a former top prospect, and you know, but we have no idea. What if what if Aussie has a similar year to Dansby and just never gets going? I don't think that's going to happen. I, th- I think he's a better hitter. I think he's a better player, but. You know, we, we really have no idea at this point. And it's just a it's just a big year from the you know, the middle tiers of the minors all the way to the big league club. It's just an important year for development so the Braves can, especially with, with the money they're gonna have next offseason, to kind of know what they have and, and know where they need to spend in order to to inch towards being a you know, a five hundred team and eventually a playoff team.
0: Yeah, um, no question about it. Um two more guys to hit on real quick. They're very, very different. You mentioned one of them is Ozzy Albies, the other one is Nick Marcakis uh albies is the exciting ones we'll do him first he's (laughs) still super young uh you mentioned he was awesome last year a lot of people think he's going to be awesome immediately this year which would not surprise me i mean even you know prospect guys and fantasy guys and everybody's kind of all in on albies he's still very young which is important for everyone to point out like Mm -hmm. albies just turned 21 that's very very young to be full-time no doubt starter and he is that you know he was almost worth two wins last year he was awesome so, I mean, his zips are modest compared to what he did last year. You know, 89 WRC plus, um, I, you know, slash line that was not going to blow you away. But defensive value off the charts, you know, they're projected for three, almost three and a half wins. And if he did that, it'd be awesome. And by the way, if he did that, he'd be a lot worse than he was last year. So, I don't yeah. know. I, I kind of don't, 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 don't really know where to go with this either because I feel like as you kind of compared before – Swanson was in this place last year, I think Albi's production in year 1 and his, you know, abbreviated year 1 was more real and there was less fluke in terms of babip luck and all that fun stuff than there was with Swanson, yeah. but is he going to be able to do that again? I
1: kind of don't know. Yeah, and, you know, we've talked about this and with with Jahara and, and Acuna. and right, they're counting on a lot of 20 and 21-year-olds to kind of carry, you know, the whole things over this year. So, by
0: the way, though, he, he Babbitt
1: 316 last year. I think Albie's with his speed is going to be like a 350 BABIP guy. So yeah, that's low. He might yeah. have got unlucky, which is crazy <laughs> for a guy. I mean, you look at the minor, now Miners' BABIP always is a little bit higher, just with defense and everything like that. But you know, you look at it, and you know, in AAA it was 342. Now, you know, could he? You know, you said 350. Even if it's 330, that elevates his his game even more. And I think the the biggest encouraging thing for me last year was was the power, and we've talked about that. But he hit he hit 15 homers across. About 150 games last year, which was a huge improvement. My my reservation with Ozzy coming up was that he was going to be a speed and glove guy, but never really hit for power to do anything. You know, to take him to that next level. And obviously, hit 15 homers. You know, if he can hit 15 homers this year with his glove, you know, get on base at a good pace, you know, and in, in, you know, sandwich right between NCRT and Freddie, yeah, that'd be a great great step forward for him. And and he seems like a, a smart kid, someone who really likes the game. Uh, you know, obviously an energetic guy and someone who kind of brought some life to the club. So an uh, all-star season wouldn't surprise me. And, you know, that kind of means a 5 war season. If you look at his numbers last year, if if he repeats that pace, he would hit about five wins, which would be obviously incredible. Um, yeah, I, I think his floor is, is certainly lower just because you don't know what he's going to get. And he's only 21, as we've mentioned. But uh you know he he could be a star and obviously some of the braves build around for a long time and and he's one of the reasons i'm most excited about this upcoming year
0: yeah i think his floor is a little higher than Dansby from last year because of the speed like there's things that ozzy can do and just kind of create that aren't going to go away with his bat like he might struggle with the plate but even if he does he can get creative and you know slap himself around and like that kind of stuff just be be fast and just kind of be that little guy that doesn't, if he does that, he's not the most impressive player in the world, but there's a certain floor to that to where like, he's not going to just be unplayable. I don't think at yeah. any point. So we'll see what he, what happens with him. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of projection there. We, we talked about ad nauseum, so we'll stop there for now. But final guy uh, is Markekis, who is, this is mercifully year four of the four year investment in the Uh He made it to the end, which I'm stunned by, frankly. Um, you know, we'll, he's 34. I can't imagine he'll be better at 34 than he was at 33 necessarily, but um, all three years he's gotten worse in terms of overall value and at the plate. Do you think he can do what he did last year? And if he does, that's it. He doesn't kill you. You know, he was a 0.9 war player in 2017. That's not great. When you talk about him playing basically every single day of the season, he he played 160, 160 games. That's a pretty bad player to roll out every single day in a corner outfield spot. But I mean, he kicked, is he going to be that guy, or is he going to be worse? That that's kind of a big discrepancy.
1: Yeah, getting with his age being what it is, and you know we've all kind of seen his his drop off in power and, and fielding ability and everything. You know, if, if now ideally, you know, you have Marquez batting seventh or eighth in your lineup, or you know, or even second, you know, somewhere where he's going to get on base in front of a couple of mashers. If <laughs> you mean not three, fifth, four, five, <laughs> right? Not fifth. <laughs> Uh, behind a catcher, nonetheless. Um, but you know, he he is who he is, and he has a year left. And obviously, you know, we talked about the Matt Kemp trade, and I think the Kemp trade certainly bought bought him another year here. You know, if if he, you know, maybe the Braves will be able to to ship him out at the All Star game, assuming that you know, there's a team that wants kind of his veteran leadership, and if they need a presence, full veteran presence, man, their their value will come uh, come September and October, but. Um, you know he is who he is. If if he can get on base and hit a decent average, and you know get an occasional homer, if he get ten homers last year, he got on base. His OBP last year was three fifty four. If he can keep the OBP north of three fifty, and you know, his WRC plus was ninety five. If he can get it around ninety five to a hundred, it's not ideal, but <laughs> we always say that again. This team isn't trying to win a World Series this year. If if he just kind of holds down the fort in right field, and then you just kind of give him some options for twenty. Uh, 2019 and beyond, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing.
0: Yeah, there. I mean, it should be noted. Like I would say, I'm pretty negative about Marcus, I hated the contract. I think I was probably right about that. But there are worse guys playing regularly in Major League Baseball than Marcus Like he's just like disaster. He has, you know, being be able to go on base at a 35% clip is valuable. Uh, I will say part of it, part of the issue with Marquez is not his fault, and that you know, that's less valuable for a guy hitting fourth and fifth in the lineup, which is where he's hit a lot during these three plus years. Yeah. That's not his fault. That's a that's a managerial decision. That's being that's a terrible managerial decision. But if you just told me you have a guy who has a three fifty four on base percentage, he can help you offensively if he's put in the right spot. The defense mm. is what it is. He's bad. Um he catches the ball when it's hit to him, but the range and all that fun stuff we talk about ad nauseum. But I don't know. I think what do you think of this? This is one thing I want to say about Marquez is that if he is bad early, the Braves have no incentive to keep playing him. Like yeah. I understand there are they don't have a whole lot of options. Uh, obviously Acuña is coming, so that's going to be one, but I mean the options behind him are not sexy. Like you're talking about as we talked about before, you have Preston Tucker and Dustin Peterson and it's not Lane Adams, it's not these super sexy options, but if Marquez is bad you you know put put cooney in right field and roll with whoever you feel like rolling with in left field and don't worry about yeah it. like yeah. there's no longer that future investments where where you have to worry about Marquez if he's bad just sit him like there's no reason
1: yeah and I think you know they talked about with the Braves having some flexibility financially and that might be why they haven't signed anyone because they have around six million or so it wouldn't surprise me either if if they try to make a midseason move for a player who signed for multiple years after this if they feel like yeah. he's going to fit and maybe that's in one of the corner outfield spots um you know that wouldn't come as a great chuck either so i'm with you if if they feel like they want to see or if dustin peterson is is tearing up uh AAA and and you know obviously acuna and ncrt are doing okay and they're healthy yeah why not i mean you know i know he's kind of the veteran and all that but i think he's also been around the game long enough that if he's on a team that's not pushing for the playoffs and they want to play their younger guys you know the last last six weeks or so last two months of his time in atlanta if he's not playing every day and still collecting his check. I don't, you know, I can't imagine he gets too butthurt about that. And if he does, then, well, you know, so be it. I think and he
0: would, frankly, but I mean, yeah. I, I do think, you know, at least part of it, they, they'll never admit to this, but part of the thing with Acuna playing left field is that they don't want to ruffle feathers with Marquecas. Uh, yeah. That's just me. I, I just think that's something the Braves have done in the past and is kind of overly deferred to their vets. And, that's insane to me, but I'm not going to get mad about it until it happens in mid April. So that, that rant will take place then. Huh. Um, but I, I just hope beyond hope that if he is the guy who was last year or worse, there is no prioritization for Nick Markakis. Because at that point, the money is spent. This is the last year. You don't necessarily have to banish him, but, you know. There's no, you don't have to play the super respect card to have him have almost 700 play appearances. That's, that's where he was last year. If he's the guy he was la- last year again in 2018 or worse, he just shouldn't play that much. That's kind, of, that's kind of all it comes down to because at least you're, the other options aren't great, but you could at least talk yourself into development for Dustin Peterson or somebody that's a little bit younger that you could at least say, all right, maybe this guy in 2019 will help us, whereas Marquekis is not going to be here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. He's, he is who he is.
0: Yep, that's that's the best way to put it. He is who he is, problem. and I hope to God, as you mentioned, and this again, this is not his fault. But I'd rather have him. He'd be better leading off than he would be to hit fifth. Like mm-hmm. it's not even yeah. close. So yeah. I mean, I think that that would be an uproar with uh, especially more casual fans that expect the leadoff hitter to be fast. If he suddenly hit leadoff, but I would actually applaud that,
1: yeah. <laughs> frankly, yeah.
0: Because uh, uh, I think he, did he have a higher on base percentage than NCRT last year? If he didn't, it's about
1: the same. Yeah, I think it's about the same. I think it's 354 to like 350. So yeah, so yeah, basically. I'm looking at it.
0: He had a higher on percentage than Ender In- Enciarte last year. Granted, yeah. I mean, NCRT is faster and could do more of that lead-off-ish off, lead stuff. But yeah, he'd be better off hitting first or second than he would be fifth. So Or, or hit him maith. Either one of those things is be fine with me. <laughs> uh, We'll save the snit stuff for later. I think I I always say that on, on the podcast. I say I always save my snit my snit thoughts for later. I never actually share them because I've just shared them so often. Um, he's bad. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, that pretty much does it for the for lot of preview. I just think unless you have somebody else that you want to tackle, what we have to hit on. I think we pretty much hit on everybody available. Yeah. I just think you know it's as you kind of mentioned. We'll wrap it up with the fact that it's a big year for a lot of these young guys and there's some safety which helps. Like I, I think there's sort of a floor a high floor on terms of like this isn't going to be a full-fledged disaster unless you have like a Freeman injury but there's a lot of variants man like Acuna, Albies and Swanson alone those guys have such wide ranges of outcomes that that can take you from being a high 60s win team to like being an 80 win team in a hurry if those guys go in one of the two directions.
1: Yeah absolutely I think I think there is a range of like 12 to 15 wins one way or the other, just depending on how some of the kids do. And as you mentioned, if, you know, Freddie is the same Freddie from the first two months of last year, um, you know, they could win 70 games, which would be bad, but you know, they could win 70 games. I think they could win 82, 83 games if everything goes right.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a scenario. I think that's very optimistic. I, I, have, I have a friend that wants me to just buy in and tell me that they're going to win 85 games. And I'm just like, nah, man, I mean, I guess there is a one percent outcome where they challenge for the second wild card spot, and that's if everything goes right. Yeah, which is it could happen. I mean, crazy stuff. I mean, you you look at the Brewers from last year. Like there, there are stories. Yeah, Twins plus one hundred and three. Yeah, the Twins had no business doing what they did last year. I mean, there's. It's not. It's baseball, man. You can't predict it. Like things can get really weird. I just think you get into trouble if you're predicting them to win eighty plus games. That's kind of where I draw the line. Like you could say that's a reasonable outcome, and I would agree with you. But predicting it is a different thing altogether. Like, yeah, yeah. you have to be uh, pretty confident in your own magic power to project uh, a 500 or better season from yeah. this team. But we'll get into that later in terms of final projections later on in March. Um, all right, this is where we uh, this is where we end the baseball portion of the podcast. So if you guys are all not uh, not want to talking about college basketball at all, you can sign off here and I will not be offended. But Scott and I will talk at least for a few minutes about the NCA tournament <laughs> because both of our teams are good, um, and that's fun. Arizona is dangerous. Michigan is weirdly dangerous. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to go through the whole bracket, but how do you feel about your Wildcats right now?
1: You know they have, and I'll fight. I said I'll fight anybody who says different. They have the best player in the country in DeAndre Aiden Who, you know, if, if you're on you, the East, if you're on the East Coast and all the Arizona games don't start till ten or eleven o'clock, um, you know, do yourself a favor and just check him out. He's he's an absolute monster. NBA, you know, NBA folks are certainly familiar with him. I guess we'll see who gets the number one pick, but I would think uh, I would think he's he's the guy at number one. Um, you know they have as much talent as anybody in the country. They they have uh, you know the number one pick. They have a couple. You know Alonzo Trier is is a probably a second round pick, and Raleigh Hawkins is probably a fringe first second round guy. Uh, Dusan Ristich is a guy who's you know he's a seven footer. He's a four year senior who's really played well. They have a four year senior uh, starter with with uh, you know point guard Parker Jackson right So. You know, but they have a tough draw, and we I'm sure we have some Kentucky fans who are listening. Kentucky's dangerous. Oh, we
0: definitely uh, do. And there are a lot of Braves-Kentucky fans Combination. Oh, yeah. That exists.
1: You know, so it's – assuming they get past Buffalo, who's pretty good. You get Kentucky, uh, If assuming Virginia makes it out. You know, Virginia, who got a pretty tough draw, I think, uh, at least in, a, in the Sweet 16. You're going to get one of the two most talented teams in the country, most likely, between Arizona or Kentucky uh, in the Sweet 16. So – I think they have the ability to beat just about anybody. Um, they've also laid some stinkers and have yes, really looked have. bad at times. So, um, you know, it's uh, you never really know what team's going to show up. But I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, but I feel like I say the same thing, you know, this time every single year, and, and then they lose in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, and I get sad. So that's, that's, that's kind of so. I
0: mean, this is the official home for Arizona basketball, the Talking Chop podcast, so I had to... <laughs> Get that out there. And uh, without getting too deep into it, you know Michigan is interesting this year. I'm a Michigan fan. For those of you that don't know that, I can't imagine you don't. But if you follow me anywhere, that's pretty clear. Uh, they're very hot right now. They just won the Big Ten going away and are terrifying. Uh, I actually kind of almost prefer that they, that they lose in the Big Ten tournament because they also haven't played in about a week, um, yeah. which is weird because of the Big Ten tournament being early. So. There'll be a run coming. I don't think uh, they're going to win the title or anything, but they have, they're have they in the same region as, as Xavier as the number one seed, so that gives you a little bit of confidence. Um, I will say that my two kryptonite teams over the last probably five to eight years in the tournament in terms of my brackets are Arizona and Virginia, and one of them is going to lose in the Sweet 16.
1: So yeah. Well, I think I tweeted you the other day that we need to get an Arizona-Virginia Elite Eight to see who finally makes a final, and it's four. going to be the Sweet Sixteen instead. But yeah, <laughs> right, right. I think it's and going to the the happen too. To Cincinnati or someone like that in the Elite Eight.
0: But yeah, yeah. so I mean, on the bright side, one of them—I don't want to say has to. One of them probably makes the Elite Eight because they might play each other. So there's there's something to that. And I am the biggest Virginia stan. I don't want. I don't think anybody necessarily would know this unless they follow me on Twitter about basketball stuff, but. Uh, I am not jumping on, on the bandwagon late with Virginia, who is number one overall seed. I am on them every year. I'm always wrong, and I'm on them again, and yeah, we'll see what happens.
1: This might be the year. Uh, so what's yes, your, what's your final awesome. four? Their
0: defense, man, is stupid. Yeah.
1: So what's your final four? Like, quick glance. I know the bracket's been out of like five hours at this point, but what's yeah, your Yeah, and
0: I had to work today uh, on NBA stuff, so I haven't done a whole lot on here. I will say, first quick glance, I will say Virginia. I'm sorry. Yep because uh, I just have to uh, I will take Gonzaga
1: Hmm.
0: I will take Duke and I will take this is the hard one the east is hard because I want to take Villanova but that's so chalky um, yeah, yeah give me Villanova I can't I can't take Texas Tech and I can't take Purdue so Purdue yeah. Pre- Pre- doesn't guard anybody. That's a problem for me.
1: So, yeah, right. I'll,
0: I'll take two number one seeds. I'll go Virginia-Villanova. I'll take a two-seed in Duke and a
1: four-seed in Gonzaga. Yeah, you know, when I looked at it, I was filling it out. I, I was uh, working earlier, so I just kind of did it without really looking. I had Gonzaga in my final four, and I thought, no, no, I'm, I'm overthinking this. They're I'm good, man. I mean, people have forgotten round. about yeah. them.
0: You know, they made the title game last year. Probably should have won it, frankly. They kind of imploded late. Yeah. Um and they well, they lost so much that they fell off the radar, but they're really good again. Yeah, they're always Mark
1: really Hughes, a hell of a coach. Yeah. yeah,
0: they're terrifying. So,
1: yeah, no, I, I had them. Um, I actually have Gonzaga playing Michigan in the Elite Eight. That's kind of my again my quick run. I think UNC is really good. I worry they, they have a lot of you know playing four games in four days, and obviously it's losses. a little ways away. Ten. Yeah,
0: I know the yeah. ACC is tough, but ten losses. Yeah. That's a lot and of losses.
1: Lately, the teams that have gone on to win it all haven't fared super well the next year. For maybe it's random, and it you know, maybe is, it's but, not. But yeah. yeah, I like Virginia a lot. I think uh, you know I think that uh, the the Virginia game, presumably against Arizona or Kentucky, will be really really good. I think if they get past that one, I think whoever comes out of that top kind of that top quadrant uh, will cruise. I, I think Tennessee's kind of a dangerous team, and I think they kind of slip past. I don't necessarily buy since I just don't think Cincinnati scores well enough consistently. You know, Virginia's kind of in the same boat, but they have some shooters who can kind of bury or, you know, pull them out of a hole if they get into it. Whereas if I think if Cincinnati goes down like 10 in a game, I'm just not sure, sure they have the offense. Yeah. yeah I yeah.
0: mean,. A lot of interesting things. I wish there were a couple teams in different spots. Like, I wish Arizona was not in Virginia's pod. I wish,
1: tell me about it,
0: Michigan State was not in Duke's. Like, that's the kind of stuff that's scary for me. But I knew two things before the bracket came out I was going to take Virginia, and I was going to take Duke. And yeah. everybody else, it I'm was always going to huh? I
1: think Duke is almost underrated at this point. Oh, no.
0: I, th- I think they have the highest upside in the country. I think if they play their best, they will win the, they will win the championship. Now, yeah. that doesn't mean they're going to. But they have, I think they have the most talent. And since they started playing zone, they've been almost unbeatable. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the they're defense, terrifying. Yeah.
1: yeah, and I think uh, let's see in the East. I think it's going to be Villanova and Purdue. I don't. I don't. I think Texas Tech has some injuries. I don't really buy them. I don't know who to pick between the West Virginia and Wichita State kind of mess. Um, I Nobody think Villanova is bigger. Really good, uh, but
0: on off switch than West Virginia. When they're bad, they're awful. And when they're good, they're awesome.
1: Yeah, and they always seem to go out early in these things, at least the last couple. Didn't they lose to the they lost to Stephen F. Austin? Was it last year or the year before? Yep, that
0: was two years ago. And they Yeah, West Virginia, I I swear to you, I've seen so much of them this year. When they when they're not like on their A game, they are like they could lose by fifteen to what Murray State. I'm not kidding. Like that's as bad as they are when they're not playing well. So I don't know, man. I all, the, all, that, all that to say, I've i, I not run into a single person yet that's picking Xavier to win the West. And that means they're
1: probably going to win the West. Yeah. Yeah, it's the one seed that no one picks. <laughs> and then they're, the, they're going to be the only one seed that makes it. And everyone's like, why didn't you pick them? And it's, you know. Yeah. They were, you know, they're good. It, they they're, basically have the same team that came within a couple positions. You know, they lost, to, uh, they lost to Gonzaga in the Elite Eight last year. Um, they're over you know, I mean, they're, in a they're close 14 game, in but,
0: Kempom, which is yeah. incredible for a one seed. Like that yeah. doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. I mean they, they have a couple of really good – you know, Trayvon Blewett's a really good guard and uh, J.P. Makara is just kind of your 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 typical Xavier player who's going to dive on the floor and, and be gritty and scrappy and everything like that. But
0: They just have no uh, bad losses too. Like look at their – I did a lot of work on this stuff today. Their five losses, they lost to Arizona State on a neutral court. They lost to Providence on the road. They lost to Villanova twice. And they lost yeah. to Providence at overtime on neutral court. Those are their five losses. Like they don't yeah. have any bad losses. That's the thing. And
1: ASU was back when ASU was like the hottest team in the country. Yeah,
0: that was when they were, you know, when they were number two or three in the country, and they yeah. also beat Cincinnati handily. Like they they have some wins, and I get why they're I get why they're the one seed. I really do. Like resume wise, the, the committee likes to do resume instead of predictive, which I totally understand. Um, with that said, this is they're probably the worst one seed I've seen in a while on paper. Like in terms of yeah. like advanced metrics overall just yeah but that stuff. was this
1: year though you know i think duke is probably a little more deserving than xavier but oh duke would be and i'm not exaggerating i think duke would probably be like a six point favorite on neutral quarter yeah, Xavier. totally yeah totally. like
0: <laughs> which is yeah. fine i mean it's again it's all about resume so i mean we've probably done too much on this because i just enjoy talking about college basketball quite a bit but i i wish you the best yeah. of luck my friend i will root i was root for arizona unless i need them to lose for my own financial <laughs> interest
1: when it's the Arizona-Michigan Final Four matchup, we'll have to do an emergency pod on, on Friday night.
0: Uh, yeah, and in fact, I'm going to be in London um, oh. on Easter on weekend Easter. for that, so that'll be interesting. I'll be watching games at like 3 in the morning, local time. So if that happens, yeah, burn it all down, you
1: and
0: me, <laughs> and we'll do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, okay, who's winning the title?
1: Um, I've gone back and forth. I'm, I'm leaning towards Villanova. I think they oh, just have God. the experience, yeah. and I think they have a really easy draw to the Final Four. Which, when trying to pick your national champion, sometimes it's not necessarily the best team, but you know, you just look at who they have to play along the path, and it's just kind of tough. So, originally, I, I want to pick Virginia, though. Every year, they're kind of like Arizona; you pick them to make a deep run, and they go out in the Sweet Sixteen. Um, so, I, my first, my first pick was Villanova, Virginia, which I know it's, it's the chalk pick, and it's what the computers have. So very. But it's okay. I'll pick Villanova. Um, yeah, I like Gonzaga. I wish all the ESPN guys didn't go out and pick Gonzaga because I got that. You know, that's the one that wins you a bracket when you pick the four seed in the final four. But um, yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's Duke the one is. To do it. Yeah, I think Michigan State is dangerous. I mean, that, they've got to be one of the best three seeds ever, on, at least in the computers. Um, yeah, there are
0: six overall in camp, they're a three seed. They're, yeah. top, they're the only yeah. team – well, sorry. There are two teams in the country that are top ten in both offensive defense. It's Duke and Michigan State.
1: And they'll probably play in the Sweet 16.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it should be fun, man. I like March. As you mentioned, it's your favorite time of year. It's probably mine too. So uh, save me the college basketball as goes the NBA because I actually – I totally understand that. I cover the NBA. The quality of play is not even close. But no. I just enjoy college basketball. I still like yeah, it. Yeah, the it's emotion
1: – the emotion is kind of what sells it on you, you know, you, other than maybe the finals and the, you know, the West and Eastern finals, you just don't have the emotion and, and why, you know, with good reason, they play 82 games. I get it. They're all making millions of dollars, but, um, you know, it's just, it's, there's nothing quite like the NCAA tournament as far as a winner go home format in sports.
0: Yep. It's awesome. And, uh, if you're, if you stuck around for this entire uh, segment, uh, Godspeed to you. I appreciate your listenership <laughs> to be sure. Um, please subscribe to the pod uh, if you've not done that already leave a five star feedback for us as well if you can on Apple Podcasts which is the iTunes product or wherever you listen to podcasts if you want us to throw it up somewhere else let us know and we'll do that for you as well so thank you Scott I appreciate it man uh, and we'll we'll do it again before the start of the season if we get your predictions on the record because that's important and, and the difference between 75 and 78 wins is, uh, is massive so. <laughs> that's right
1: that's right thanks for having me on man
0: uh, always a pleasure sir and we'll do it again soon as for everybody else I'm not 100% sure what I'm recording next week as I'm on the road for March Madness uh, as part of my other responsibilities, but I'll have a podcast some, sometime in the next eight or nine days. I promise. and We'll see you guys there.